You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Karen Bellantoni, and she is a growth strategist and executive coach. And we're going to learn a little bit more about her background and who she works with and her insights and expertise with that. Karen, welcome to the program. Hi, Bruce. So why don't we start a little bit with uh, learning about you and your background. So uh, professional background, what, what were you doing before coaching? How did you get into coaching? Give us the story. Okay. I, um, I've actually had two coaching careers. Okay. And the first coaching career started about 20 years ago. And I worked really as a marketing partner to bankers. And what I would find was that in small boutique banking shops, uh-huh. uh, the founders or the entrepreneur who was the founding partner typically had a lot going on in their personal life that I would see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I couldn't work with that, I couldn't help their business. Right. Yeah. So my belief became if your business is stuck, it's likely you. Yeah. And to this day that holds true. You know, it's not always about more Instagram or Twitter. It's where am I blocked and what patterns do I have that are getting in the way of my business growth. So I, I started working with people very holistically back then. Yeah. And it was not as open a topic, I think, as it is today. Most of my clients at that time were men who were about 10 years older than me. Okay. And I think they uh, had a sense of trust with me. We, we had worked together in different ways. Yep. And so they kind of allowed me to start, you know, what I think was my lab back then. And then I started building my own business using my marketing skills. And I founded an early digital agency called okay. iMark. And I built that company in a short period of time and had a nice exit. We nice. sold it in 2002. I will say to you, I don't believe in scaling. I uh-huh. think <laughs> scaling is a science term. And I think you scale when your mom makes cookies at Christmas, you know, she doubles, <laughs> she she quadruples the batch, you know, yeah. that scaling. Yeah. But in a, in a business, to me, it's a more feminine process. It's shimmying. Ooh. You know, you shimmy your way up because... You know, scaling implies it's direct, it's straight, it's an exact science. And so much for yeah. me about scaling a business has to do with the human element of a yeah. business, yeah. not the things that are predictable. And so just like a pilot has these really short feedback loops, right? He's looking at the controls and he's always off. And so every few minutes he looks at the controls and he gets back and course corrects. And so with a business, you're doing the same. So you kind of like lean in on one hip and then the other. And it's definitely more of a dance (laughs) uh, to build. So I, I had a great time with that company. I exercise a lot of my creative juices and it was wonderful to have that, you know, I guess society, society's approval on his financial win and selling the company. But what really felt like success to me was that the 18 people that worked for me left my employee with bigger mindsets 
and bigger dreams and more capabilities and stronger skill sets and just expanded people. So yeah. we had a meditation room in 2001. We had yeah, you're, you're uh, early on the curve on that. Yes, it was. We had a beautiful office that. I let the team paint the walls whatever color they they wanted and and it was it was really early for that kind of thing but it it created an environment that to this day I hear from those folks and I'm Yeah. I, mean, I guess what was your or philosophical underpinning or experiences earlier in life that that uh, that caused you to do that or gave you that insight or that approach? What a good question. Because I, I know everything yeah. ties back, right? Yeah. So I just knew that early on, my, my career started at Citibank. Okay. And I somehow got myself in there. I told them I was 18, but I was 17. And it's really hard <laughs> hard to believe that they couldn't figure that out back then. Yeah, exactly. It was, wasn't that long ago. Yeah, they, I don't think they wanted to figure it out, computers. probably. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Yeah. But but I, I quickly kind of rose up the ranks. And when I was 22, I think it was because of the four bank robberies that I successfully uh, <laughs> deterred the thieves from getting any money. Uh, really? They, no, wait, they, wait, stop. Hold on. Wait, four bank robberies that you, four, you thwarted? Four, four, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say thwarted, but they didn't get any money. The first two were really, they were terrifying. I mean, because these guys came oh in, in in Adidas tracksuits. And they had AK-47 shotguns. And I remember my what? client was in her 50s and she literally fell over and passed out onto yeah. the fall floor. Yeah. Like, and I pulled the alarm and was on my knees because I just thought, well, if they're going to shoot me, I don't want to be shot in the back. It's like, wow. <laughs> I want to see what's, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't like something you think out, Bruce. It's just something that. This is a primordial reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Very primordial. And they, they had given us pretty good training. And, you know, a lot of times those trainings people laugh through and yeah. they say, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it makes you go into these steps. Yep. And so all around yep. the branch, in a bank, there are these sort of hidden markers that yeah. you would never see, but yeah. but I would. Trained. Yeah. I was trained to look for them, and so instead of being in a total state of panic, I was m- measuring them all. And when the police came, I was able to give them a pretty good report on what size people were, what yeah. weight they were, um, and then and then my boss had given them a package of bait money. So when they ran out the door, all the money turned fuchsia. Oh yeah, yeah, had a, a dye or whatever they explained. Yeah, so they got. No money that time. The second time was it was very similar, and these the branch I was in was sort of on a corner of where you could get on the freeway quickly. And I learned, oh yeah, they like branches where there's yeah. a big getaway. Quick exit. But the last one was at a branch where there was no bandit glass, uh, uh-huh. no bulletproof yeah. glass, and I was helping. It was a very busy branch transactionally, and we took a lot of cash in. And there was a lot of store owners who had to come and stand in line and close their store to bring the money in. And so we had long lines and the tellers never wanted to close up to do what they were supposed to do, which was put their money away. And so the head teller, I saw how much money she had. I went in the back to check and I said, listen, you keep an eye on me and an eye on your customers. And I'm going to just count this money, throw it in the drawer when we get enough, you'll you'll close for a minute and we'll bring it to the vault. And she said, okay. And then I sort of felt something whiz by my shoulder. 
And I thought it was a kid throwing a toy at me. And I looked behind me and I see a grenade with smoke coming out of it. And I thought, oh, that's not a toy. It's probably not a kid. And I, as I look up, I see this guy and he's screaming obscenities. Uh, They really are afraid. I mean, (laughs) not being empathetic, but it it is not something someone does lightly. So he's screaming at me and I see in the corner of my eye another one putting uh, like a T-shirt over the camera. But of course, there were multiple cameras. So I pulled the alarm, shut the drawer with my knee, put my hands up. And just stared at him. And I started doing my, well, if he had a gun, he'd be brandishing it, you know. He's not hopping over the counter, you know. There's only so many minutes left that they can stay before yeah. you know they have to go. Yeah. Young man next to me, one of the tellers was sobbing. People were, you know, very traumatized. Yeah. And that time, the branch filled up with smoke, and they ran out without any money. And the FBI said, young lady, we are looking for people like you. And I said, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't want a life of this. It was uh, great that no one was hurt and I was able to evacuate the branch. And I was in charge that day. My boss was on vacation. So that sort of led to me getting promoted and giving me my own branch. So at 22, Citibank gave me a $60 million business to run in South Flushing, Queens. Yep. Uh, without much explanation. And (laughs) I walked into a cultural situation where I was not really welcomed. I feel that neighborhood at the time was heavily Korean and Indian, and Mm -hmm. most of the employees were. And the assistant manager who deserved the job, she was great at it. She was Korean and felt very slighted and everybody supported her. And so I very quickly had to figure out, like, how do I nurture this team and get them behind me? Because I can't do this without them. And how do I acknowledge them? Because this gal did deserve the promotion, but she didn't get it, not because of her nationality, which is really mm-hmm. what she believed. She yeah. she didn't get it because she didn't know how to sell herself. Yeah. And I told her that, and I told her I would teach her. And I told her that when I left, she would get the job or I wouldn't leave my post until she did. Yeah. I mean, I didn't plan to be there more than a year and a half. So from that moment, we began to be a team and a family and we came together and, you know, did our battle in what was the highest presidential complaint branch in the New York banking division. So that meant more people took the time. And, you know, back then it was a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to date ourselves here. Yeah. I I explained this to a millennial the other day. I go, do you know what CC means and BCC means? It's like there was carbon paper. That's so funny. Explain this process. And they're fascinated. Duplicate. I remember doing duplicates. Ditto machines. Remember ditto machines? Yes, exactly. So we'd have to mail that to the CEO. You couldn't just, you know, tweet something and get the attention of the executive office. So, you know, it was a hot, it was a very volatile, high traffic yeah. business. And I knew I needed to work with my teammates and I needed to understand them personally and know what their why was. When I saw Simon Sinek talk about that the yeah. first time, I thought, oh, wow, I love the way he's packaged that yeah. presentation because that was something I spent a lot of time doing. When you know why someone's there, and I did that with each and every staff member, you know, in the yeah. 80s, 
it was a lot easier to motivate them and understand them. And so I do the same thing now with the entrepreneurs, you know, why, why are you in this business and what's your connection to it? And I, like you, I'm sure find that most successful businesses have stronger whys and they're not about money, but it's about solving a problem and usually something that is close to home. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's some intensity around that. I'm going to make an interesting connection. So, uh, uh, and another episode, actually, we recorded just recently with uh, Chris Voss, who uh, wrote Never Split the Difference, a book on negotiation. Yeah. He's a, he was an FBI hostage negotiator. And and we actually talked about a lot of these situations that you just went through. Oh, maybe we all need to have a beer. Yeah, well, we, or at fun. least a joint podcast episode. Yeah. So, but it was interesting because you're bringing up a lot of the stuff he mentioned, which is around you know the, this idea of tactical empathy and how do you build trust. And, uh, and the story you just told really highlights all these things that go into, you know I think at some level, just great services, great negotiation, what it takes to be a great coach, which is that, that ability to sort of see the other person's frame, the ability to... You know, understand sort of their needs from their perspective and how you can and cannot meet those and how to communicate those effectively. And, you know, to the extent that you can help sort of broaden or adjust or alter their frame in a way that's going to help the situation. You know, fascinating story. And for listeners that have, have listened to the Chris Voss thing, you know, key on on that, because I think you're, those are really important points. And I think really insightful points around not only about, you know, kind of uh, how to be a good coach, but really any, anyone in a service-based business, I think is going to benefit from, from those ideas. So, and, and for me, it's, I think, that experience is both, you know, kind of illustrating and, you know, probably, you know, highlights your kind of natural capabilities, you know, as a coach, as a service provider to key into those things. So that's great. So, so Citibank, take us from the bank into the business, into the coaching. When did you formally focus on coaching then from a professional so, point so of view? It was, it was a couple of uh, gigs after that. So I, I got into sales after the bank. I was, I, I guess a key point in my story is that I'm what you call a fast tracker, right? Uh-huh. So fast trackers get where they're going by using lots of shortcuts yep. and they don't take the normal uh, sure. benchmark steps, touch points that other folks do. And so what happens, and that's why these are the people who are my current clients, is when you skip steps, you eventually hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, you have a really terrible case of imposter syndrome. Yeah. So you are afraid you're going to be found out. You don't know. You don't quite understand how you got where you're at. And you're starting to see all the holes, right? Uh, you, and, and then you focus on the holes more than, you know, those solid legs under you that you've built. And there isn't a lot of um, space to deal with that, right? So you go to your therapist. Your therapist doesn't understand what you're talking about. You have a successful job. You look like a success. You know, you go to a business coach. They tell you to do more things, but there really wasn't a space. And it it happened to me multiple times where I had to reinvent myself and I had to figure out how to do it. And I went through some traditional coaching programs where I felt like screaming at the person and going, just tell me what the frig is wrong. (laughs) Like, you know, and you're not telling me. And so that's why I'm really not a coach. So that's the the other surprise. (laughs) The the dirty little secret. (laughs) The dirty little secret, because about 
three years ago, the branding people that I worked with spent a lot of money to help me develop and design my brand said, you need a searchable title and no one's looking for an interventionist or a personal consultant or a tough love person. But, you know, the the truth is that I am really uh, more of a personal business consultant and I don't have people sitting and crying and I'm, I'm not questioning them into self-discovery and, and coaches have very profound questioning techniques. Some of them are trained in specific systems and for a lot of people that works really well. For my clients, the clock is ticking. They are business leaders. They either run companies or they run big teams inside of companies. I've got one guy who's got 90 people reporting to him inside a very fast-paced emerging company. He doesn't feel his peers are his best friends and he's not sure who to talk to. And what the last thing he needs is to be questioned and to self-discovery. He needs somebody to tell him the truth. And so, you know, my, my sessions tend to be longer. They tend to focus on the root cause, which are patterns and programs. And, you know, at some point after city, when I did get into coaching and I was working with bankers, I really loved it. And that morphed into that marketing company. I was telling you, about and it was sort of during that time that I felt very alone. Uh, there weren't a lot of people calling an influencer and saying, "Can I pick your brain?" wasn't something we did back then. We just didn't have access to the kind of mentorship people have today. And I encourage people, you know, to pick up the phone and to reach out on LinkedIn and to get as much free help as they can. You yeah. know, that was just not something I had access to. And and I think that even had I had a circle or an or an EO group, then then I I maybe would have heard more of the truth, you know. But when you're running a, a company and you're running a business that has a lot of human capital to develop, you don't really understand the value that's sitting right there. And so when you're at 80 people or 90 people and you're trying to get to two or 300 people and you're looking at putting more money into your product and your engineering and your legal team and protecting your your copy and your trademarking, but people are going out the door as quickly as they're coming in and the knowledge transfer isn't happening and people aren't anchoring into the company in a way where they'll be loyal and they'll stay and they'll help others do the same, then, you know, you've got a lot of exhaust. You've got a lot of energy that's just going out the door. Like we have a situation in New York City where 90% of people have to crack their windows all winter because we don't know how to (laughs) control the heat, you know? (laughs) And so we're wasting all this energy. Yeah. Feedback loops. Anyone who's listening, that's a multi-billion dollar solve. Oh, there's a couple. I've, I've met a couple of people that are trying to trying to work on I that. I hope they manage to do that because yeah. I personally hate being hot like that. Uh, yeah. But but it's just it's also big, just a waste of energy. So yeah, that's absolutely. sort of what happens inside of inside of companies. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your, I guess, your philosophy or uh, when your kind of techniques or when you approach clients or when you're kind of diagnosing clients, what are the things that you're kind of looking for in terms of, you know, you mentioned patterns, you mentioned uh, programs. What are the things that come up for you typically and how do you address those with uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, executives? Okay. So like, I guess stage one is when I first meet people, I generally meet people through referral. Uh 
And I work with companies and partnerships. Yep. Done an awful lot of co-founder coaching, yep. which is no longer a focus of mine. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like marriage counseling. People come too late. Yeah. And yeah. when you Typically. come too late, it's <laughs> conflict uh, resolution it, more than. It, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a lot of work. So, so what I do find though, and they may not even know what they want, but they know what they don't want. And they just, I had dinner with a client last night and he said this exact thing to me. When I came to you, I knew that I just couldn't stand one more day of going in the yeah. patterns that I was in that yeah. I felt like I couldn't change. And we had a deep dive. So my, my program is called the 180. Uh -huh. And so we do that in 90 days or 180 days, depending on how fast you want to work. Uh -huh. And so it we do it in 90 days. I'm meeting with you weekly. The first session's about three hours long. Mm -hmm. And that's where we do just a major deep dive to get on the same page. And there's some pre-work that comes in before that. So you're completing a questionnaire. You know, I've got a gal who hasn't started yet. We haven't had her first session. She's already had all her shit's already coming up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> She's already unable to set an appointment. She's got too many personal commitments. She puts herself last. Like I already know all these things about her just from looking at how difficult it's been to get something, yeah. you know, on the book. So I'm intuitive. And I think that helps the process quite a bit. I'm able to really see very quickly with people what's blocking them, what's in their way. And these fears show up like patterns, yep. not to get sort of off on a science tangent, but everything is energy and we all yep. live in energy fields. And so if I have beliefs that I've developed before I was eight years old that are sitting in my field blocking me, I can't see them because I've yep. owned them so long that I don't know. So an example of that would be, you know, a client of mine who has a mom who's mentally unwell, yep. suffering probably from schizophrenia undiagnosed yep. and this client had an inability to show up on time anywhere and so we were four or five sessions into the 180 program and she got very upset and said something is wrong with me why can't I be on time even for this and I made this investment to do this work with you and I said well now that you're fed up I think we're going to uncover it yeah <laughs> you know so we we sort of went into a little bit of a meditation together and I was able to pull in a little bit of intuition mm -hmm. and I started questioning her and we started getting to these anchor moments around, you know, where did you develop this belief um, yep. around late and how did you even know what late was? What was the first time you experienced that? So what we uncovered right away was that mom was unable to show up consistently. So yep. she'd be sitting on the stoop after school waiting for mom. Mom would maybe show up, maybe not, maybe be late, maybe be an hour late. And all the other moms would pull up and say, yep. obviously a fake name, Jenny, yep. Are you? do you want to ride from us? Where's your mom? And yep. so all of those touch points are shame. Yep. Shame. You know, your mom's not here. Why are you sitting on the stoop? Isn't she going to come and get you? And so this gal just was wired around a fate worse than death would be to have to wait for someone. Yeah. And so when I further questioned her and said, well, what, you know, tell me about like your meetings at two o'clock, <laughs> you live in Brooklyn, yeah. it's 11 in the morning, you're walking, you know, how do you get What's to be strategy? late? Yeah. What's your strategy? And yeah. so what I uncovered was 
there was procrastination going on Absolutely, because yeah. she didn't feel safe to leave because she'd rather be late. So this is all unconscious sabotage yeah. than wait for someone. So we had to reframe waiting. So waiting used to mean you're alone, you're sitting somewhere, everyone's watching you wait yep. for someone. Now waiting is you have a device with you that's more powerful than the computing device you owned <laughs> 20 yeah, years yeah. ago called your phone. Yeah. And so you're never really waiting anymore. You're productive wherever you are. Yeah. And if someone doesn't show up, it's their loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that so that's how we reframed it and she was able to beat that habit because there's no way she was going to successfully scale and grow her business with a habit like that. Yeah. No, a great story and great example. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, the vast majority of problems, challenges, roadblocks, constraints that we see in businesses, you know, come down to some kind of pattern, individual or team pattern that they've gotten stuck in and you know, rewriting that script is is you know, ultimately how we're going to push through those things. Tell me more about the 180. So, so you, you, this is a kind of a process, I guess, how much structure do you put into the 180? Uh, you talked about a kind of diagnostic or pre-work initial session. How does that, what does that journey look like for, for a client? How do, how do you It's, it's, it's 12 sessions and it's a lot of communication between sessions. Okay. So it's why it's really not about sessions. It's a program. And the idea is that it's kind of like three phases and it's almost modeled after strategic planning, right? So yeah. where are we today? How do we get here? Yeah. What are the thoughts, beliefs, <laughs> patterns and programs yeah, exactly. that got us to where we are? And then, you know, through this this wonderful gift and ability I have to connect and get gain trust with people very quickly, yeah. you know, we're kind of on the same side of the table now and you're not alone anymore. And many people they're telling me things they've never said out loud before. Yeah. And I, that's a real honor that I, I, I don't take lightly. But we look at all these things and we kind of re-decide. Yeah. And some of the stuff comes in. In, in, in fact, I, as you know, most of my clients are millennials. Yeah. And even within that, I would say 90% of those millennials were not born here or their parents were not born here. So they're, they're immigrants. Yeah. Or, yeah. And so they especially are dealing with, you know, if you are 27 and yeah. you have a 50-year-old mom and a 56-year-old dad and they're in the tech industry or they're bankers or they're in biotech and they're fairly savvy and sort of up-to-date people, you may have a different kind of support than someone whose mom grew up in an internment camp in China. And because that's where grandma was when she gave birth. And now you are here as a first generation who's, you know, fast tracked through the education system with your immigrant work ethic. You've exceeded and uh, blown away, yeah. you know, your, your contemporaries, but you've got these programs that come from another world. Yeah. You know, just another world completely. And so I have African clients and Asian clients and Indian clients and South American clients. And they are, of course, close to their families, but they don't have that mentorship. And they have a belief system that says, you know, for example, I have a, a friend who grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut uh -huh. and has not wanted for a lot and was put through a very impressive school and thinks nothing of dropping a couple grand on a nice dress. Yep. Right. And we're in a restaurant and she will take all the bread off the table and put it in her purse and yep. insist we go across the street to another restaurant where the burrata cheese is two dollars less. Yep. 
And that is a program from her grandma who grew up in their home, uh-huh. who did not have the experience that this woman had. She had to find food every day of her childhood. Yeah. And so those patterns and those beliefs are repeated and repeated and repeated. And so we have generational beliefs yeah, exactly. in, our, yeah. in our field as well. Yeah. So, so, you know, I do this through talking, I think sometimes realizing the fear eliminates about a third of it. You know, then we have homework and processes that help strengthen the opposite muscle, right? So if you're going to resist a fear, you know, I'm not afraid to go on stage and speak. I'm not afraid to go on. Well, I've seen the result of that. People actually having panic attacks. Instead, we have to build a muscle that says, I am great on stage. Mm -hmm. I am really comfortable. I start with a joke. I pause enough for people to laugh, right? So we're building the opposite muscle versus creating resistance and trying to crush it or overpower these beliefs. So, and this is probably a whole other podcast we could do on my... Yeah, no, it probably is probably a couple of podcasts. We could probably do a whole podcast series against it. Um, But I think, you know, I I think it's an important point. And I think, you know, for for listeners here, um, you know, I think the realizing that, uh, you know, our results, you know, that the the things that we accomplish are very much a, a function of our, you know, thinking and the underlying kind of uh, beliefs and scripts that we have going on, and that whole process of you know, kind of reflecting on the results that we've gotten. You know how how are they a function of uh, those beliefs and those systems that we have, and you know, and figuring out which ones work for us, which ones don't, and you know, the ones that don't, you know, we can change. Uh, it may not be easy all the time, but there are certainly things that we can adjust. Uh, we just need to figure out the new one we're going to adjust to. It's always the, you know, don't think of a white elephant. You know, it's hard to not do something. Uh, it's figuring out well, what is the thing you're going to replace it with, and how do you make that more powerful? So, and, and I think your process is is you know well tuned uh, to helping uh, someone get through that uh, successfully and efficiently. So um, yeah, I think I, I found it's yeah. really more a feminine a process, right? Where yeah, uh, in the in the masculine, we're pushing, we're fighting, we're overcoming, uh-huh. and that that works a little bit, and it works for a while. I always say to clients, you know, if you need to sprint for a while for a project, skip lunch, work late, yep. have your weekends be covered with, you know, reports and follow-ups, but you can't, you can't do that long-term. Not sustainable. Yep. You got to go in and figure out why, you yep. know, and we, we've got to get to the, to these, to these root causes because that's how we make real lasting change. And really the best way to get unstuck is to change the relationship you have with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. And, yeah. Good. Um, so uh, we're going to hit time here. If people want to find out more about you, about the coaching that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, email me, I, I would say, uh, Karen at KarenBellantoni.com. I'm sure you're going to have that in the notes. Yep, K-A-R-I-N. And uh, my website is also KarenBellantoni.com. Same for all my social sites. The work I'm doing with teams right now mm-hmm. has been some of the funnest stuff yet. So people will bring me in to kind of help help grow the company from the inside out with using the human element. And so a lot of these millennial teams are uh, being being treated way differently, you know, than we used to kind of treat team building. Yeah. We're looking sort of individually and collectively at beliefs that hold us back. Uh, individually and as teams. It's very powerful work. 
I also have a, have a salon that I host. I've been doing this since 2016, and we just found a new home. Okay. So I'm officially in a partnership with the Assemblage here on John Street in Manhattan. Yeah. And so we're going to be doing six salons starting in April. The f- first one you can get on my mailing list on my website to be notified. The first one's going to be called The Four Faces of Fear. And so how to spot when someone's in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and how to coach them out of it. Awesome. Yeah. Good. That actually, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to make Why sure I put it on my calendar. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Um, I'll make, and I'll make sure all the uh, email address, the um, uh, website, all of that is on the show notes so people can click through and get it. Uh, Karen, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation. Great story. And uh, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the work you do, Bruce. I, I really appreciate you and creating a space for us to talk like this. And I really appreciate you asking about the bank robberies because yeah. that could be the first time I've told that publicly. <laughs> well, thank you. It was a, it was a yeah. good one. And, and, and was I think it was energetically right for the podcast because we had just come off Chris Voss. So um, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Cool. Cool. I'll check Chris Voss out later today. Perfect. All right. Thanks okay. again. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.